Hi guys, welcome to my podcast, The Tea on Mental Health, and I'm your host, Brittany O'Sullivan. This episode today is going to be on bipolar disorder and really understanding what goes into it because it is one of the most commonly diagnosed disorders. And so this episode today is going to be a little bit longer than normal because I really want to get into the burden of people that have this disorder, what they go through, and why misdiagnosis is so prominent and some of the things that we can try to do to prevent that. And also, I'm going to do all the normal things that I do in my podcast. We're going to talk about treatment. We're going to talk about symptoms. We're going to talk about what you can do for your loved one or for yourself if you have those things or what you can ask of people close to you if you are struggling with this disorder. So first, I want to talk a little bit about the history of bipolar disorder because if you look back in history, it has been called so many different things. Um, So in 1854, Jules Farlett provided a description for a condition characterized by episodes of depression and heightened moods, which he termed fully circulae, which is Latin for circular insanity. A year later, his term was given the name manic depressive psychosis. Controversy surrounding the diagnosis of bipolar disorder became apparent in the 1950s when Congress refused to recognize manic depression as a legitimate illness. It was only in the early 1970s that the law providing Social Security benefits to patients with bipolar illness were enacted, eventually leading to the formation of NAMI, which is the National Association of Mental Health in 1979, which is a huge organization if you guys don't know. And I actually pull a lot of my resources from them, so I would give them a look if you are wanting to know something about a disorder or just to look at some mental health things. So you're going to also hear me say a lot of of this introduction is the DSM. Um, There is all up to five, and you're going to hear the actual name of it is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders. And what that is is basically, for you guys who don't know, it's basically an encyclopedia definition book of all the mental health disorders. And what they do is, is you will, let's say for bipolar disorder, we would look in the DSM-5, which is the current one that's up to date, and you would look to see what the criteria is for the symptoms to meet that disorder. And you have to meet so many of them for a certain amount of time to be actually diagnosed with that disorder. So it's basically just a book for counselors and psychiatrists to look at so they can help you diagnose or help them diagnose you. So the third edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Method or Manual of Mental Health Disorders, the DSM-3, in 1980 replaced the term manic depressive disorder with bipolar disorder. The fourth edition of the DSM classified bipolar disorder as bipolar 1, bipolar 2, cyclomania and bipolar disorder, and then not otherwise specified by NOS. And so there's a lot that goes into this new criteria for bipolar disorder because there's a bunch of different criteria that you could meet or could be diagnosed with within bipolar disorder. So I'm going to talk about it briefly here, but then I'm going to really get more in depth to it when I start going through symptoms and what that looks like. So bipolar 1 is characterized by one or more symptoms or episodes of severe mania or mixed episodes and major depression. While in bipolar 2 disorder, patients experience one or more hypomanic episodes and major depression. Hypomanic episodes are not as severe as manic episodes. So you guys kind of understand the difference. And then cyclomania is characterized by recurrent episodes of hypomania or depressive symptoms not meeting the criteria for a major depressive disorder. With the cycling occurring for at least one year in children and adolescents and occurring for two or more years with adults. Bipolar disorder NOS is used for a number of clinical symptoms to not meet the full criteria of bipolar 1, 2, or cyclomania. So to really understand bipolar disorder, we have to look at the symptoms. So there are several types of bipolar and related disorders. They may include mania or hypomania and depression. Symptoms can cause unpredictable changes in mood and behavior, resulting in a significant distress and difficulty in life. 
So for bipolar 1 disorder, you've had at least one manic episode that may be preceded or followed by hypomanic or major depressive episodes. In some cases, mania may trigger a break from reality, which is psychosis. In bipolar 2 disorder, you've had at least one major depressive episode and at least one hypomanic episode, but you've never had a manic episode. And if you heard me say earlier, the hypomanic is less severe than a manic episode. Then for cyclomatic disorder, you've had at least two years or one in children and teenagers of many periods of hypomania symptoms and periods of depressive symptoms, though less severe than major depression. And then the other types, the NOS that I was talking about. These include, for example, bipolar and related disorders induced by certain drugs or alcohol due to a medical condition, um, such as multiple cirrhosis or a stroke. And I just want to highlight bipolar 2 is not a mild form of bipolar 1 disorder, but a separate diagnosis. While the manic episodes of bipolar 1 disorder can be severe and dangerous, individuals with bipolar 2 disorder can be depressed for longer periods, which can cause a significant impairment. And then although bipolar disorder can occur at any age, typically it is diagnosed in the teenage years or early 20s. Symptoms can vary from person to person, and symptoms may vary over time. So mania and hypomania, I really want to dive into the difference between the two. There are two distinctive types of episodes, but they have the same symptoms. Mania is more severe than hypomania and causes more noticeable problems at work, school, and social activities, as well as relationship difficulties. Mania may also trigger a break from reality, which is psychosis, and require hospitalization. Both the manic and hypomanic episodes include three or more of these symptoms. Abnormally upbeat, jumpy, or wired. Increased activity, energy, or agitation exaggerated sense of well-being and self-confidence, like a euphoric state, decreased need for sleep, unusual talkativeness, racing thoughts, distractibility, poor decision-making, for example, going on buying sprees, taking sexual risk, or making foolish investments. Now, the other part of bipolar disorder is that a major depressive episode. These include symptoms that are severe enough to cause noticeable difficulty in day-to-day -day activities, such as work, school, social activities, or relationships. An episode includes five or more of these symptoms. Depressed moods, such as feeling sad, empty, hopeless, or fearful. In children and teens, depressed mood can compare as actually irritability, which I found interesting. Marked loss of interest or feeling no pleasure in at all activities that you used to find uh, pleasure in or just not at all. Significant weight loss when not dieting, weight gain, or decrease or increase in appetite. In children, failure to gain weight as expected can be a sign of depression. Either insomnia or sleeping too much, either restlessness or slowed behavior, fatigue or loss of energy, feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt. Decreased ability to think or concentrate or indecisiveness. And thinking about planning or attempting suicide. There's also some other features of bipolar disorder I wanted to highlight. Signs and symptoms of bipolar 1 and bipolar 2 disorders may include other features, such as anxious distress, um, psychosis, or, or others. The timing of symptoms may include diagnostic labels, such as mixed or rapid cycling. In addition, bipolar symptoms may occur during pregnancy or can change with the seasons. And I wanted to highlight, too, the symptoms look different in children and teens, so it can really be difficult to identify in children and teens. It is often hard to tell whether there are normal ups and downs, the results of stress or trauma, or signs of a mental health problem other than bipolar disorder. Children and teens may have distinct major depression or manic or hypnotic episodes, but the pattern can vary from that of adults with bipolar disorder, and moods can rapidly shift during the episodes. Some children may have periods without mood symptoms between episodes. The most prominent sign of bipolar disorder in children and teens may include severe mood swings that are different from their usual mood swings. And then I wanted to highlight too, if you're experiencing some of these things, when do you go see a doctor? 
Despite the mood extremes, people with bipolar disorder often don't recognize how much their emotional instability disrupts their lives and the lives of their loved ones and don't get the treatment that they need. And if you're like some people with bipolar disorder, you may enjoy the feelings of euphoria and the cycles of being more productive. However, this euphoria is always allowed by an emotional crash or is always followed by an emotional crash that can leave you depressed, worn out, and perhaps in financial, legal, or relationship trouble. If you have any symptoms of depression or mania, see your doctor or mental health professional. Bipolar disorder doesn't get better on its own. Getting treatment from a mental health professional with experience of bipolar disorder can help you get your symptoms under control. And also, too, when you're ever in an emergency, there's a bunch of different hotlines. Um, you can call 911 or the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is that number is 1-800-273-8255. So what are some of the causes of bipolar disorder? So the exact cause of bipolar disorder is unknown, but several factors may be involved, such as biological differences. People with bipolar disorder appear to have physical changes in their brains. The significance of these changes is still uncertain, but may eventually help pinpoint causes. Also genetics. Bipolar disorder is more common in people who have a first-degree Degree relatives, such as a sibling or parent, with the condition. Researchers are trying to find genes that may be involved in causing bipolar disorder. And then what are some risk factors? Factors that may increase the risk of developing bipolar disorder or act as a trigger for the reverse episode include having a first-degree relative, such as a parent or sibling, with bipolar disorder, periods of high stress, such as the death of a loved one or another traumatic event, and also sometimes drug and alcohol abuse can induce this. And then if you go untreated, Bipolar disorder can result in some serious problems that affect every area of your life, such as problems related to drug and alcohol use, suicide or suicide attempts, legal or financial problems, damaged relationships, and poor work or school performance. Now, what are some things that we can do for prevention? There's no way to actually prevent bipolar disorder. However, getting treatment at the earliest sign of a mental health disorder can help prevent bipolar disorder or other mental health conditions from worsening. If you've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, some strategies can help prevent minor symptoms from becoming full-blown episodes of mania or depression. Pay attention to some warning signs. Addressing symptoms early on can prevent episodes from getting worse. You may have identified a pattern to your bipolar episodes and what triggers them. Call your doctor if you feel you're falling into an episode of depression or mania. Involve family members or friends in watching you for warning signs as well. Avoid drugs and alcohol. Using alcohol or recreational drugs can worsen your symptoms and can make them more likely to come back. Take your medications exactly as directed. You may be tempted to stop treatment, but don't. Stopping your medication or reducing your dose on your own may cause withdrawal effects or your symptoms may worsen or return. Now, why is bipolar disorder so misdiagnosed and what does the burden of bipolar disorder look like on people? So I really wanted to highlight the burden of bipolar disorder. So according to some research I did, the life time prevalence range for bipolar disorder is 1.4 to 6.4% worldwide. Bipolar disorder is considered both chronic and disability, with significant risk of mortality, as the lifetime risk of suicide is 20 times that of the general population. This illness also carries significant economic cost and was ranked as the sixth leading contributor to disability in 1990, according to the World Health Organization. One study reported a seven-fold increase in the likelihood of miswork in people diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Another study concluded that when a woman is misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder, not misdiagnosed, when she is diagnosed with bipolar disorder, at the age of 25, she might lose nine years of her life, 12 years of normal health, and 14 years of effective functioning. So 
why is bipolar disorder so misdiagnosed? And I feel like that contributes a lot to that burden that it has on people because the sooner you can get treatment, the better, the more you can get your mood swings underneath control. So uh, two surveys were done, one taken in 1994 and one taken in 2000, reveal little change in the rate of misdiagnosis. As per the survey taken by the National Depressive and Manic Depressive Association, 69% of patients with bipolar disorder are misdiagnosed initially, and more than one-third remain misdiagnosed for 10 years or more. Similarity, a survey done in Europe on 1,000 people with bipolar disorder found a mean time of 5.7 years from initial misdiagnosis to correct diagnosis, while another study reported on average patients remain misdiagnosed for 7.5 years. Diagnosis of patients with bipolar illness can be challenging, as most of the patients seek treatment only for depressive symptoms. And more often than not, the first episode of mood disturbance and depression rather than mania. Two studies in 1999 and 2000 concluded that almost 40% of bipolar disorder patients are initially misdiagnosed with unipolar depression. By the DSM-5, which is the up-to-date encyclopedia um, how you diagnose people today, Patients need to have an episode of hippomania or mania and an episode of depression in order to be given the diagnosis of bipolar 1. The diagnosis of bipolar 2 disorder can be even more challenging as the criteria in the DSM-5 can be overly restrictive, requiring a full symptomatic picture of mania with a duration of 4 days. While many experts believe the average duration of a hippomanic state is only 1 to 2 or 1 to 3. Furthermore, in bipolar 2, it can be difficult to elicit a past history of hippomanic episodes from patients. An episode of hippomania has a mild presentation of the mania and can happen without impairment in functioning at work or in a patient's social life, which may be why hippomanic episodes are unreported by patients. In other words, the increased energy and heightened activity often experienced during hippomanic episodes may not be considered negative to the patient who actually experienced them. And another reason I believe it's a misdiagnosis is that there tends to be a lot of other medical disorders and medical diagnosis that it could be, which make it difficult. A study that examined patients with bipolar disorder showed that 46% of patients suffered from alcohol abuse or dependence, and 41 had actually had bipolar disorder and drug abuse at the same time. Some studies have even reported rates of alcohol abuse up to 69% and rates of drug abuse as high as 60% in patients diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Research also supports high rates of bipolar disorder with panic disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, social phobia, eating disorders, attention deficit disorder, and a couple different personality disorders. The association of bipolar disorder with medical conditions like thyroid disease and multiple cirrhosis as well can really complement complicate the diagnosis. And the consequences of misdiagnosis is a complex illness to manage all on its own already, but then having it delayed due to misdiagnosis delays the appropriate treatment, which in turn increases the risk of reoccurrent and chronic episodes. As mentioned previously, the most common misdiagnosis for bipolar disorder is that unipolar depression. An incorrect diagnosis of unipolar depression carries the risk of inappropriate treatment with antidepressants, which can actually result in manic episodes and trigger rapid cycling. A study performed on bipolar patients who were previously diagnosed with unipolar depression reported that 55% of them developed mania and 23% became rapid cyclers. 
Another study was performed on 51 patients with rapid cycling bipolar disorder and found that in 51% of the cases, the use of antidepressants was associated with the continuum of cycling, and 73% of the rapid cyclers were taking antidepressants at the time of the onset of their cycling. In the same study, investigators also found that bipolar patients who became rapid cyclers initially presented with depressive symptoms only, which most likely further increased their chances of being treated with monotherapy and antidepressants. So... If you or someone you know is struggling with this disorder, how can you help them? You can support your loved one by learning about bipolar disorder. Learn everything you can about the symptoms and treatment options. The more you know about bipolar disorder, the better equipped you'll be to help your loved one and keep things in perspective. You have to encourage the person to get help. The sooner bipolar disorder is treated, the better the prognosis. So urge your loved one to seek professional help right away. Don't wait to see if they will get better without treatment. Because with bipolar disorder, you cannot get better without treatment. Being understanding. Let your friend or family member know that you're there if they need a sympathetic ear, encouragement, or assistance with treatment. People with bipolar disorder are often reluctant to seek help because they don't feel they... They don't want to feel like a burden to others, so remind people that you care and that you'll do whatever you can to help. And probably, arguably, one of the most important things is to show patience. Getting better takes time. Even when a person is committed to treatment, don't expect a quick recovery or a permanent cure. Be patient with the pace of recovery and prepare for setbacks and challenges. Managing bipolar disorder is a lifelong process. The importance of support in bipolar disorder recovery. As the last thing I really wanted to highlight. People with bipolar disorder do better when they have support from family members and friends. They tend to recover more quickly, experience fewer manic and depressive episodes, and have milder symptoms. So, just remember that if you know a loved one with bipolar disorder, um, the burden that they're going through, and a lot of times it is misdiagnosed and that creates a lot of setbacks. So as soon as you have any inkling, have them screen you for it and see. So I also wanted to add in here, if you have a family member that has bipolar disorders, these are some tips for coping. So accept your loved one's limits. Your loved one with bipolar disorder can't control their moods. They can't just snap out of depression or get a hold of themselves during a manic episode. Neither depression nor mania can be can be so overcoming that self-control willpower reasoning will not do anything. So telling your loved one to stop acting crazy or to look on the right side definitely will not help. You have to accept your own limits. You can't rescue your loved one with bipolar disorder, nor can you force them to take responsibility for getting better. You can offer support, but ultimately, recovery is in the plan or is in the hands of the person with the illness. Reduce stress. Stress makes bipolar disorder worse, so try to find ways to reduce stress in your loved one's life. Ask how you can help and volunteer to take over some of the person's responsibilities if needed. Establishing and enforcing a daily routine with regular times for getting up, having meals, and going to bed can also reduce family stress. And arguably one of the most important things is communicate openly. Open and honest communication is essential to coping with bipolar disorder in the family. Share your concerns in a loving way, ask your loved one how they're feeling, and make an effort to truly listen, even if you disagree with your loved one or don't relate to what's being said. So, thank you guys for listening. I'm really excited to do this series. We still have a couple more of this one, uh, of a series left. Um, and I am really full, but if someone's dying to hear something on a specific mental illness, reach out to me and we'll see what we could do. <laughs> or chances are I probably already have it. I do have a lot of common ones on my list. And thank you guys so much for reaching out. And that's my podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. And that's a tea on mental health.